Hello, 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 and welcome to the 40th edition of Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles, and it's always a pleasure to interview and speak with people that have really paved the way for what sports is all about today. And this gentleman is no exception. And before I introduce him, I want to remind all of you to please subscribe and or rate where they at on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, etc. Make sure that you subscribe and rate the podcast so you can hear past episodes of um, me having the honor to speak with these legendary individuals. And now I want to introduce this gentleman. He has meant so much for the game of basketball. And I'm going to read his accolades. I mean, first of all, he was an Olympic gold medalist in 1968 for the USA Olympic basketball team in Mexico City. And it was a very interesting Olympics, uh, to say the least, as well. Uh, before that, he starred at Pershing High School, which is one of the great historic high school basketball programs in Detroit. And before that, he was from Silver City, Mississippi. What a very riveting childhood that made him become the man he is today. Um, but afterwards, he spearheaded a rule that is named after him. And this rule pretty much uh, allows athletes to be able to leave college early and enter the National Basketball Association instead of having to wait four years after playing uh, in high school basketball. So he was able to spearhead that. And, and let me tell you, a lot of young basketball players have a debt of gratitude to, to, to give towards him for sure. Another thing about this man, he was a four-time NBA All-Star, a two-time All-NBA first team. He was also ABA Most Valuable Player in his rookie season for the Denver Rockets and had one of the great debuts in professional basketball history. And he has his number retired by the Seattle Supersonics, his number 24 jersey. And as well, he is a, a humanitarian he is someone that really has been able to be an influence in his community. And that's what's really important. And he's a major jazz aficionado as well, as we're going to talk about his jazz uh, radio show on Sirius XM, Real Jazz. Um, and But it's my pleasure to, to talk about a plethora of topics with this man. I want to introduce the one and only Mr. Spencer Haywood, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm fine, sir. Thank you for that great introduction. Thank oh, you. Oh, my pleasure, sir. My pleasure. And and there is a lot to talk about on where they add. I love talking to the people that, like I said earlier, who have paved the way for what sports is all about, because I'm all about history, for sure. And uh, But the first question I want to ask, uh, how are you and your family doing with this COVID-19 pandemic? You know, how is it going? How have you been holding up? And what have you been able to do throughout this time to circumvent all this, the stress, <laughs> you know, of this pandemic. Yeah, well, the stress of it all has been tremendous, but uh, I've been in peace, uh, at peace in terms of uh, prayers and meditation and, mm. and getting in my walk, because I live here in Las Vegas, I can walk during the winter time and go mm. out and work out and do some things. But uh, at the latter part of last, well, month before last, my lawyer got sick. And oh. then I went and got checked and then oh. I turned up positive. So I had to, wow. I did not, um, I didn't get it real bad, but I had it bad enough 
to notice and to bad enough to be quarantined. And, and my wife was on one end of the house and I was on another end. And I went through it for 14 days and I came out okay. And Thank God. Uh, Thank I have God. some side effects from it because I just blurred vision uh, uh, and I sleep a lot and trying to regroup and get everything squared away. And from that, I was able to, uh, since I'm old enough, I'm now going into my 72 years on this earth. Wow. Um, uh, I, um, I'm able to get my shots. So I have the both vaccines uh, Excellent. in my arm. And, that's, uh, uh, and I'm working with the community of Nevada and, and the United States on educating and trying to get us African-Americans in particular to get the vaccine, to, to also make it accessible to the African-American, like putting it in churches, putting it in, in the areas that they need to get to, because a lot of our people don't have the phone. We don't have, uh, we have phones, but you know, it's a flip phone, so you can't get all of your information. Mm -hmm. And so we need to go where they are. So we, I'm working with Roseman University and trying to make that all possible for the Hispanic community and the Asian community here in, in Las Vegas, as well as the African-American community. So that's my, my new venture. And my, my venture, what I do is being the former chairman of the board for the NBA retired players, mm -hmm. uh, I, I was able to secure a health insurance for our veterans. And at that time we had no health insurance. And so we now have like we have zero, 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 like the players. Mm -hmm. Players decided LeBron James, Chris Paul, uh, uh, Steph Curry and all of them decided that we should have the same health insurance that they have to cover our families as well. And so they came up with like about 16 million a year for health insurance for the, the, the older players. So that's an awesome thing. And then they also, did some increases on our pension, which is a great thing. So I'm very, very, very proud of those young men in terms of what they are doing and how they behave in doing this time. And I must say, and just talking about basketball, for them to be playing in a bubble, playing with all of this, this virus around them, getting infected and then waiting 10 days, getting back out there, uh, my hat's off to them because I think that, that this is probably the last two years has probably been the most important period in basketball. And we have also seen them play at a yes. very high level. It's been just awesome. So I know a lot of us old heads sometimes say, well, you know, it was never like when we played. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> you, know, you know, we were like sitting around in the locker room with a cigarette and drinking scotch at halftime. So, this is not like, you know, these guys are trained and they have their bodies in place. It's like really special basketball. NBA basketball right now is just special. And to look at even the younger players coming up. I, I look yes. at the moves and the things they're doing, uh, how guys are taking care of their bodies and mm. their minds. And also uh, or seeing, uh, getting help from psychologists. You know, yes. So that's the main thing because, you know, uh, for years, I neglected my my mental health, and when I did go, because at that time, uh, let me just go back a little bit. At that time, uh, when I was finishing up my career, uh, Iman and I was married. Iman, yes, Woo! 
Yes, yeah. indeed. <laughs> my mom was like, you know, you need to uh, see a psychologist. I was like, that's some African stuff because she's from Somalia. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> Black folks in America, we don't, we too strong for that. You yep. know, you're out of your mind, girl. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so I ended up going and I found a home. I found a place that I could release my, my, my anger, my past, and my feelings, my emotions, my, what was happening with me. And also at that same time, I was recovering from cocaine. Yeah. And so I had, to, uh, I had to develop some, some skill sets that are outside of my, my circle. And so from that, I, I, I've just been uh, a, pro, a programmer, a person in the program. Wow. This is my 30th year of sobriety and uh, wow. life is good. And from that, my my daughter that's 30 years old, she's 29, mm -hmm. but she ended up being a psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There you go. And she yeah, knows you best. <laughs> you know? But let me just refer, refer back to Mississippi for a second. Mm, yes, can. indeed. I yes, I wanted well, to ask you, how did that make you the man you are today? Because, wow, I read your history so yeah. deep, so deep, sir. So deep, so deep. Yeah, well, you know, I was born in Silver City, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And let me remind you and your audience, there ain't no silver and it ain't no city. <laughs> he did. <laughs> the, population, the population is was like 270 people. We were sharecroppers, actually indentured slavery because we were picking cotton. We planted cotton in, 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 in certain times we planted the cotton. We then we had to go back out into the field and chop the cotton to make it, you know, hard to roll so they can grow higher. Mm -hmm. And then later on, we would pick the cotton. So you were, you were relegated to that farm and mm. could not leave that farm because even earlier, my mom and dad were put together by the farmer that you two should be together because you're going to produce strong and healthy kids so we can have them all on the farm. Now, that's some deep shit. My I God. Don't. So that's how we got to be big, strong kids, you know, big, right. strong family. And uh, from there, we picked cotton. And like I said, from sunup to sundown, we chopped cotton. We did everything in the field. And we were dirt poor because you cannot allow a family to make more than $2 a day because then you would be out of the survival mode. You can then leave or get out of there in the dead of night and leave and go up north. Mm. So they, they kept you just in shackles basically, but not shackle. But yeah. you know, you couldn't go because you you borrow some money for Christmas time and to have some some food. You didn't get any toys or anything. And mm -hmm. once you, you know, you got on the books with them, they just cooked the books and made you stay on that farm working always to pay it off. Then your next time you you get ready for a next event, which would be Christmas again, and then they lend you the money again. So it was mm. just constantly that cycle, that cycle. And so from the picking cotton, my uh, my idea was to be the best cotton picker, this cotton picker that we had ever seen. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would get up in the mornings early, pick cotton. When I was, I was 10 and 9 and 10 and 11 years old, I was picking cotton and uh, you know, trying to get my skill set and also make a little extra money. If I had more cotton, the more 
money I would make to help my mom. Wow. And so we, uh, my brothers and I, so we went out and we picked and picked and picked. And I didn't realize it at the time because I was picking from two rows of cotton. Cotton is like a thorn. You stick your hand in, you pull it out. And if you, if you rough it up, you, you cut your hand open and everything like that. So I would pick a hundred pounds at the age of 10 and I'm like, uh, um, oh yeah, that was in the first morning. So what happened was, you know, you, you, you would pick a, I would pick a hundred pounds of cotton and then I had to lift that hundred pounds on my shoulder as a 10 year old and walk back to the trailer and dump this cotton into the trailer and then go back to where I left off and start picking again. So I learned and developed hand and eye coordination. I didn't know I was preparing myself for something else, but God has a plan and I, and I just was just following the plan. And so on his own time, on his time, like you always said, not on my time. (laughs) So, so, uh, and the print in the meantime, when I'm just picking this cotton and doing all of this stuff, my mom says, well, you know, you boys need some downtime and your girls need some downtime. So y'all always like that basketball stuff. So I'm going to make you a basketball. So how are you going to make a basketball? Mm-hmm. So she put together a cotton and put it in a croaker sack. You know what you put your uh, your potato sacks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And cut it around like a basketball, put all of this stuff in. Couldn't bounce. <laughs> <laughs> so you So you would say... I got two bops, bop, bop, make the pass or make the shot. And the shot was easy to be made because the ball, the ball would hit on the backboard and just fall right through. And we didn't have money for a rim, so we had a barrel rim. That's deep, wow. So yeah, a barrel yep. rim on the backboard, it hit, boom, fall right in. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, we played and we played. And then one day, after Christmas around February, because that's when we celebrated Christmas around mm-hmm. February, because we would wait until all the white kids and, and and people would throw away their garbage and we would go rummaging through the garbage and we find treasures. We call it the mm-hmm. treasure. Yes, yes. The yes. treasure you know, is just in the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we find some shoes that we might like, you know, you find different things. So, oh, mm-hmm. wait a minute. Another just, man's trash oh, is another man's treasure. Like, there you go. Yeah. So, so we looked around like, oh my God, is this a basketball? It was dead, you know, the basketball had a hole in it. And we were like, no big problem. A patch will make this work all day long. So we grabbed that basketball and we patched that baby up and we started pounding it and feeling it. And we was passing to each other, my sisters and my brothers. We were like, oh man, we got a basketball finally. And then... <laughs> My brother came home later, Andrew, he came up, I got a rim, a real basketball rim. We were like, whoa, boy. So he put up that rim and we just started playing basketball, playing basketball. And all of a sudden my mother had to come out and cut the rim down, cut the basket down because we wasn't getting any work done in the field. (laughs) And the the slave owner was saying, oh no, that basket got to go. Otherwise, we're going to shoot up the family, kill them all off. Because <laughs> that's what we were wow. doing in that environment. And yet I'm back into the field now, and I'm thinking, wow, man, this is, uh, you know, I'm feeling good because I can handle the ball with both hands, left hand, right hand. Mm-hmm. And I had feeling and touch. I had shot. 
And it all came from that cotton field wow. <laughs> because of the delicacy of what you were doing. That's right. And, uh, and then one night, uh, the team saw me play uh, in a dust bowl. And they said, well, look, go to the junior high school tournament. And we took a team down to the tournament in Louise, Mississippi, out about six miles from Silver City. And ain't no silver, and it ain't no city. So, <laughs> so, so we traveled down there, and we was playing. I got to the finals, and here come my brother Andrew. He was in high school. I'm like, wait a minute. This is my time to shine. He came back and beat us, and they forfeited. But he took my gold, took my 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 uh, my luster. Uh, but you got the gold gold medal years later, you know. <laughs> he cut me down at this level. So then I went to high school, and, and lo and behold, I'm playing high school basketball because I had that growth spurt. And then I'm like, I'm just out there on the team. I, everybody else had on a green uniform. Mm -hmm. I was so bad. Cause I had that growth spurt. I had to wear a gold uniform. <laughs> so at home games, I I couldn't travel on the road. I was too bad. But anyway, <laughs> at the home, home game, I was so you were a project. You were a project. You know that. And so I, I I hit it in mid season. I hit it again. I hit my 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 game caught up with my height, and everybody's like, "This guy is good. What happened? It's only been four months," <clears throat> and. Uh, the coach kept looking at me and said, you got to wear a white uniform now, baby. You got it moved up. So I moved up to the to the big boys and they were practicing. Everybody's practicing. This guy is getting so good. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, one night our center got thrown in jail because he they was harassing him on the streets in Belzoni. <laughs> over, and they was harassing him, calling the N-word, all this stuff. So he just got mad and threw a, 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 a brick through the window. Mm -hmm. Right away, you go into jail, you know, ain't no big deal there. Yeah. And so uh, I was thrown into the lineup, the starting lineup. So I uh, I jumped ball against Sam Lacey, who played in the NBA. Yes, he indeed. From, he was from Indianola, Mr. Right. And he, he was did. part of that. <laughs> and part of that great draft, Mr. Haywood, that great draft with uh, Rudy Tomjanovich and Pete Maravich and Bob Lanier. And who's the fifth person, Sam Lacey, and then I forgot the fifth person drafted that year. But anyway, yeah, yeah. the 1970 draft. <laughs> yeah, was it Nate Archibald? Oh no, wasn't Tiny, not in the top five. Oh my God. So, oh, Dave Cowens, Dave Cowens. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> so I, jumped, I jumped against Sam, I'm so excited. And then I got spun around, spun around in my head. So they threw the ball to me. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going the right way. They were just throwing me the ball and letting me feel it. I went straight to the wrong basket and made a layup, <laughs> perfect layup. And, the, and everybody was like, oh, and it was at my home gym. So I was like, oh, my sister just hit her head down. Like, He's not gonna ever make it. He's so stupid. <laughs> and by the end of the game, I had like 15 points and 10 rebounds and everybody was like, oh man, he's a star to make it. He's going to be like, he's going to be like his big brother, Leroy. And I was like, whoa, I walked around the next day, like, shoot, everybody coming up to me and talking to me. And this one girl named, I think it was Elizabeth Holmes. She came up and said, you play well. And I was like a saint. She was like a junior and I was like a freshman. So I was like, oh, 
What happened? Popularity. And, yeah. So the the farmer who we were working for got very angry mm. because mm -hmm. I was getting publicity. I was, uh, you know, people were talking in the town. They wrote it up in the bells on the paper. They had it on the on the radio there, you know, Spencer Hayward. Y'all know him as Weedy, you know? And so. <laughs> Weedies. <laughs> so, yeah, so Weedy. So at the country club, I worked at too as well, besides picking cotton, I, I caddied at this country club. Yeah. So I'm sitting at the country club, trying to get a job, trying to caddy. Hey, I'm your best caddy, best caddy. And this guy welled a quarter to the board because we couldn't go inside. We was relegated to a window because mm -hmm. of segregation. So by desegregation, yep. brother, you can't go in here, you know? Mm -hmm. So we had to go to this window like slaves, you know, and you yeah. get your your crackers and your uh, and your soda water and you drink it and be happy. But he nailed a quarter there on it. He welded a quarter on, on a nail and nailed it down. I'm trying to get it off because I thought I had found me a quarter and he punched me, pow, in my oh, face. I'm like, whoa. So I wanted to fight back. The right away, the farmer had the police come down, Jack Purvis, he came down with his gun slinging like he was a, a real cowboy. And he put me in jail. And he put me in jail, I was 14 years old because that's the that was the pathway to what they were doing down in Mississippi. They put you in jail, you're a big kid, and all of a sudden you lose your your, you know, lose your time in school, and then the kids look at you. You're a jailbird. You so you just you stay on the farm, right? And what they do now with with with, with black youth and black males. It, hey, it's, it's I'm just saying. I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm just saying. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. So, uh, and so my mom said, "Mom, I'm this baby here can't go down like this." So we start scrapping money and she said, I got to get you out of here, but you got to get leave from another town because they're watching the house, seeing where you're going to go, what you're going to do. And so we got in the car and I got in the trunk of a car, curl all up in the trunk and we moved up to Belzoni to catch the bus. And I caught the bus to Chicago. I get to Chicago. I'm thinking, ooh, man, I didn't got out of the Bluesville because, you know, down in Mississippi, we would have, um, you know, like guys would come through, like B.B. King, Howlin' Wolf, uh, all of those great people would come down Highway 49W and they would stop at Leroy's Cafe and they would play a little something for us, you know, the country folk. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm playing up at the Elks Hall up in Belzoni, but I'm gonna give y'all a little taste. And so they'd play a little something and we were like, oh, I just wanna be a blues man. That's mm -hmm. all I want. I wanna travel, I wanna get out of this cotton field. <laughs> <laughs> I get to Detroit, I get to New York, I mean to, to, to Chicago, and my brothers who I thought was pretty well off, they were faking. They would come down to Mississippi with a wad of money, which would roll in ones, twenties, and so on, and they would come down in a new automobile. And so I get to Chicago and I'm like, hey man, where's the new cars? Where's the money? And she, how y'all living like this? And they were like, man, that was fool's gold, fool stuff. We were just fronting so y'all would think we were doing great in Chicago. Hell, this is a step up above picking cotton. <laughs> so my other brother came over from Bowling Green. He had played at Bowling Green State University. Okay. And he, we played basketball and he said, you gotta go. 
And I packed all of my wonderful clothing in a five pound paper bag, <laughs> stuffed my gear in. <laughs> and we went down to Bowling Green State University and I couldn't go to school there because I'm 15 years yeah, old and yeah, I'm young. No, I was that right age, but I, I was coming from an all black society. And then I'm going to go to an all white society here. Mm. And so I was having some problems with the idea that, you know, I was still saying, yes, sir, no, sir, hoping that they didn't punch me in the face and stuff like that. So my brother said, hey, let's go to Detroit. They got a tournament coming up in Detroit at Crump. And Crunk is at that time was nah, not the not the boxing gym, but the basketball outdoors. Yes, yeah. yes. So, so they had all of the great high school players in in the state out there playing, and and he got me on the team and I played, and everybody was like, "Who is this kid? Where is he coming from?" Because I had twenty seven points, fifteen boards, and three blocks, and they were like. <laughs> Where did he come from? My brother standing over there because he was a big man in Detroit because he caught, caught the short straw. So he was raised in Detroit by my aunt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we always, he was a light skinned brother too. So they're pretty Ricky type. He got the best pick. And so Will Robinson was a great coach in Detroit at the time. And he saw me play and he said, oh my God this could be the guy that would take us to the class A state champions because the city of Detroit had been out of the class A state champions for 35 years. And so he, he said, well, look, I will adopt you. I'll make sure you get into school. Let me talk to your mother. My mother said, I know the Lord has got him. Ain't nothing nobody can do, but you are in the right place, sir, for him to be there. And she signed over the adoption papers that I could be adopt. And so we'll adopt and as well as James and Ida Bell because I needed to be in the school district of Persian. Mm -hmm. So there I was in a new life. And, and you know, whereas I was listening to blues, hey baby, I wanna rock with you all <laughs> night long. And then here I am now, I'm up here with Motown. And they're like, I'm right. wondering how I knew. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. <laughs> And wow. also the jazz scene too in Detroit, yeah. all the cats. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they was telling me, hey, Miles is over at Miles Davis is over at the at the Bluebird. I'm like, Ooh. oh, I gotta go see Miles. That's right. Because I, I had switched up all my music. I was like, and, I don't and, want to go in the blues. And Ron Carter was playing with him from Detroit, Ron Carter. <laughs> so I don't wanna I don't wanna hear no more blues. And I don't want to hear too much rock and roll. I want to hear jazz. So I started in my jazz era. In high school. So wow. the coach would let us play jazz before the games. We were playing John Coltrane, Miles Davis. Man. And we were like 16 years old, 17. Yes. And we blowing that stuff. And everybody's like, what the hell? And so we ended up winning, winning the Class A state championship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were around uh, helping me out. Uh, Melvin Franklin from the Temptations. They didn't want nothing to happen to the country boy. So they would come to our games and make sure that, you know, I was knowing that there's a future ahead of me. And Will Robinson had all those kind of people in his in his, bag. In so his circle. In, yeah. In his yeah. circle. And then uh so we won the class A state championship and then we off I'm off to the University of Tennessee. I signed with the University of Tennessee out of high school. Wow. And I didn't realize at the time I did, but I didn't care. I didn't realize, I realized that I was the first black 
to going into the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, mm. I think somebody from Vanderbilt, but it wasn't a player. And Charlie and, Scott, who was your age, was the well, first Charlie, black in the ACC. Yeah, you know, ACC, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so, so, um, so what happened was when we went, when I went, what was that? I was on the story about oh Tennessee uh, SEC University of Tennessee, mm-hmm. and why I chose the University of Tennessee. My mom and my family in Mississippi had never seen me play in high school or nothing. They just heard that he's a he's an all-American. He's like in the top two players in the country. Boy, oh boy, what happened to him? And so I figured, well, hell, I'll let them see me play when I play against Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so Adolph Rupp was like, no, I was supposed to get the first black because I just lost to Texas Western the five blacks earlier. Mm-hmm. And so there was this rambling going on. So Will said, let's just get you out of here because you don't want to be in a pissing contest with no universities. So he moved me down to Trinidad State Junior College. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to Trinidad Tobago. I'll be on the bench. <laughs> I mean, on the, on the ball. No, Negro is Trinidad, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I want to I wanna get right to that. I want to, wow, here on the 40th episode of Where They At, with Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, Mr. Spencer Haywood. And the Spencer Haywood rule, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, about yeah. this man so really... the 50th anniversary of my ruling. Yes, indeed. And, 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 that's the, and that's what it is with Spencer Haywood. He set the tone for what basketball is about right now. So he's here on where well, they are for this episode. Out of, mm-hmm. out of Trinidad... Because yes, what yes. I, I'm down in Trinidad. I'm killing them junior college style. We were mm-hmm. playing against the best players because a lot of players were not, could not go to a major university because they didn't accept blacks in certain areas in certain university. It was yeah. only a special yeah. one or two here and there. So they all went to junior college. So you played against the best talent. Mm-hmm. And then uh, all of a sudden there's grumbling about the 68 Olympics. Oh my mm-hmm. God, who's, who's going to boycott? Who's going to say, who's going to happen? So Kareem says, hey, I'm not going. And he said, I'm going to help the kids up in Harlem. I'm not going to the 68 Olympic, I'm boycotting. And uh, uh, Jesse Owens, uh, Jackie Robinson, Martin Luther King and all, they had a big meeting stating that we didn't want them, these players to boycott because the black community would lose so much. Mm. So. So the human rights movement moved on with Dr. Harry Edwards. Yes. And, and we allowed us to come and play. So all of a sudden, they were looking for players, a player to replace. Elvin Hayes signed his pro contract, which is a That's boycott. Right. Uh, same thing with West Sunsail. Mm-hmm. So you had three of the top players didn't, didn't go to the Olympics. So they looked around and said, hey, who could fill in the place of those three players? We need just one. Mm-hmm. And nobody had heard of me. So they said, wait a minute, the best junior college player is Spencer Haywood. Let's bring him down for a trial. Mm-hmm. So I was like all elated that, hey, man, I'm <laughs> going to the Olympic trial. Brothers, when I come back to Detroit, I have on my trial gear. Hey, right. I'm going to tell y'all something, tell y'all some, some wonderful stories. So they like uh, going into the, to the finals, you know, going into the final play so that we could have a team 
They're like, we picked Spencer Haywood. Oh, yep. And guess what? And then you didn't just, you didn't just, you weren't just the 12th man. You dominated. You broke records, rebound record and block record in the Olympics. Yeah. And your, your marks are 44 years. It stood for 44 years until Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant broke it shooting three. Right, right, exactly. That's my guy, that's my guy. And Spencer, Spencer, I want to talk to you real quick. Dr. John Carlos, I had on the 33rd edition of Where They At. I had him as a guest. George Foreman, I had him on the eighth edition of Where They At. They both- Those are my teammates. Yes, please talk about. Now, I wanted to ask you this question. You had to prove yourself, you know what I mean? Because you got an opportunity coming out of a junior college, but also too, the protest was going on, you know? So you, were you caught in the middle? It was going on. So when, when they put together the team and I'm looking at Pete Maravich got cut. I was like, Whoa, what? Yes. 44.2 points a game. I do. (laughs) Calvin Murphy got cut. I was like, Oh my God! You cut Calvin three thousand career points. What? You know? so he was averaging thirty-three a game. Yeah, at that time. yeah, Niagara. Yep. <laughs> the next player to get cut was uh, Rick Mount. He was averaging thirty-nine at Purdue. I was like, Oh man, what am I? Who am I going to be playing with? <clears throat> and so uh, it was just it was just basketball at its best. And then they cut Dan Issel. He's an oh, all Kentucky. You know. Yeah, I know. I mean, he's an alternate. And then we had our team, Jojo White, uh, oh. Charlie Scott, yes. uh, Mike Sellerman from the Army, because it was, a, it was a plethora of players from different venues. Mm-hmm. We had NIAA, we had one guy there, and we had two guys from AAU, Akron Goodyear. Mm-hmm. Akron Goodyear was the semi-pro team before, uh, right, it was serving the NBA with pro team, with pro, pro players before yep. this became AAU like it is now. Yep. And so, <clears throat> so we were set, man. We were like ready to go. And then they says, well, where's your birth certificate? And everybody produced their birth certificate, but me. Ooh. I didn't have a birth certificate because I was born by a midwife where I was conceived on my mother's bed. Mm-mm-mm. And so, she didn't turn in my no records at Jackson, so I didn't have a birth certificate. I only had affidavits. So they called my mother, Eunice, we need to get that birth certificate up here. She said, no, I don't think I'm gonna get it up to you right now because it's in my Bible under John 21 and my Bible do not leave my side. So we had to go down there and, and get a picture of it and went to Jackson to vital statistics and then they yeah. produced a birth certificate. Then I'm off to Russia, Yugoslavia, and we, we came back as an Olympic team to play the scrimmage the New York Knicks and we beat them and Willis Reed pulled me over and Dave the Bush and all of them was like, y'all going to be all right. Don't listen to Howard Cosell, you're gonna be all right. You're gonna be the German. So then we left there with our heads way up and our chin up and feeling really good because we was picked to lose. Mm-hmm. The 68 Olympics. That's right, to the yeah. Russians, right, right. Yeah, so we moved on into Cincinnati. We played against the the great Oscar Robinson. And the big old finished up, and he, he took us down for a little lunch, and he was like, 64, me, you know? Uh, y'all got to keep the banner up, because he was a 64 Olympian. That's right. Oh, 60, 60. 60. Him and Jerry, yeah, him and Jerry West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> so he was like, you know, you got to keep, you got to keep it going. Mm-hmm. And you all are good. We left there like, whoa. So we then wandered on into Mexico City. <clears throat> and then there's protests. There's, you know, students uh, got killed outside before we all got into the compound because there was a riot with student riots. And they was killed, maybe seven students and stuff like that, wiping up the blood and stuff like that. So we get there and then here we are, they worried about us being a protest. We're going to do something at the Olympic Games. And so Tommy and John was sort of like our standard bearer because they were, you know, they were like the hot guys on campus and George Foreman and I were like the new prospects. Yeah. We didn't know what they was going to do Could because they both are 19 years old. They stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and George Foreman only fought like 20 something amateur fights. That's well, what he yeah. talked about on, the, on my show, the eighth edition of Wedding. I'm telling you, this is yeah. like the way they were looking at us because you're in the compound with all of the players and you're like, oh man, the track and field. So Jesse Owens came to speak. And so when he mm-hmm. spoke, and there was a little grumbling, you know, like, oh yeah. man, this guy is an Uncle Tom. What's going on? So Jesse, how would any of you SOBs felt if you had to run before Hitler? And we were like, oh shit. He's talking about the H man. So we all like lost laced up our shoes, like, all right, man, it's time to go to work. It's gonna be all right. Mm-hmm. So then we got start getting playing and playing each each round. You're getting closer and closer. And then we got to Tommy and John for the finals, and we all got mad at John because John looked over. If he hadn't looked over, he would have been in second. But <laughs> <laughs> right, he looked right. over like, oh shit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and, Doctor, and Dr. Carlos and Dr. Carlos say he just wanted to medal. That's all he wants, just the medal, okay. you know? I didn't know that. I, I didn't know, but we were like, oh, John. Because yeah, he, he let up. He did let up. He, John, Dr. Carlos did say that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's our guy. You know, like, that's our guy who was like, sort of yes. like, a, you know, like a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah he was the man. He's the man. <laughs> so, so, and we were wondering, what are they going to do, man? So he got up on the podium with the gloves on yes. and salute the black folks back home. Hey, we stand in solidarity with you. Everything is beautiful. So it's all good. Mm-hmm. And the Olympic committee came in, get them out of here, get them out of the compound, yeah. throwing them out, throwing them out, threw them out of there. And we were like, what? They mm-hmm. went and won this gold and silver. And you talking about or the bronze or whatever bronze. it was. Gold or bronze. You're like throwing them out of the, the Olympic village. Yes, so then we just that Brundage, we, that Brundage was Brundage, a piece man. of work. Nazi, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know he was a Nazi, right? Oh yeah, yep. Oh yeah, Doc, Doc, yeah, Doctor Carlo. Oh for sure. Oh, we got a lot of Nazis around here nowadays. But <laughs> then, it's a whole nother story. Yep, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we were so hurt, man. We were just so down. And then uh, we had uh, had to pep us up and like, hey, man, even. Even Howard Cosell was hurt. I was like, oh man, I didn't think yes. he would be hurt. And yeah. so, because he was the broadcaster for ABC at that time, I think, yeah. for all. And so, so George said, I got something for him. And so when George kept talking about, you're going to put that Russian down. And like, George, you ain't going to put no Russian down, man. That Russian going to knock you out. <laughs> so George put him down like a, like a pig, like a dog. Mm-hmm. Huh. And George mm-hmm. said, 
hey, I'm an American with my American flag. I'm going to be heavyweight champion. And so we were like, so much respect went out to George because like, mm. I can dig that. Cause we are, cause we were Americans. We are American flag. So it's who we are. Yes, and is. people were like mad at him. Well, he's, uh, cause I got calls from Michigan. He's just an uncle Tom. I was like, no, no, no. This mm. man didn't have a place to stay. He was at Boys Hope or Boys Center or something. Mm-hmm. So he was. He had to. He had to think about his career. He had performed for the Olympics and got that gold medal. That was what he felt because yes. we were Americans. We were competing against every other country. That's right. This ain't red, white, and blue. This ain't red, white, and black or whatever the flag mm-hmm. is at this time. This is not it. Yes. Yes. This and he exp- American. And he explained that, like on the show, like. And Dr. Carlos said same thing. You know, Dr. Carlos and George are. Are like this now, you know? No, so. they they dog tight. They were dog tight mm-hmm. down. There. But mm-hmm. now, yeah, they were like George uh, was a little bit standoff because <laughs> because Dr. Carlos was a little rough for us, you know. <laughs> Harlem, <laughs> Harlem, you know what it is. Yeah, I know. We were like keeping watch. Uh, don't say this. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and so we ended up. Uh, so we got to the finals, and we ended up playing for the goal. Mm-hmm. And I won the goal, and they are calling off this stuff. Oh, Spencer Hayward broke the scoring record. He broke the rebounding record. He got the field goal percentage record. I'm looking around like, and the blocks too. <laughs> and blocks, y'all talking about me and the, and, and the Mexican fans and the American fans that were there yelling, chatting my name and everything. And I'm, mm-hmm. and it hit me like, you did all this stuff. You got a gold medal. So the medal, the medal round, they was coming. They got Silliman, Scott white and then it's calling me out and I'm just like oh man the nerves starting to hit me because I'm thinking right away in my mind four years ago I was a slave now I'm the greatest hero in America now what kind of country is this in America you can do this mm, so so George and I was sort of like partners in a way because I didn't I didn't know him well, but he always said, "Yeah, no, you always thought you was a girl, man." So I was like, <laughs> "Wow!" Oh. And and, and, and so wow. I, I, my knees got weak. Mm-hmm. So Mike Silliman came over and Georgia White came and stood next to me and said, "Hey, don't faint out here. Don't fall over because I know you're a stupid ass girl. You country, country." <laughs> so so. I'm thinking about all this stuff and I'm getting nervous. My knees are weakening because I'm thinking, wow, man, I did this. Yes. And so I got that gold medal, and man. Wow. And Mr. Tears, everything just boiled over and out of my stomach and came out, just came out. Mm. And it was like a glorious time. So after the gold medal, I left the Olympics on my way back to Detroit, thinking that every Detroit, every black person in Detroit hates me to the gill because I went to the Olympics. So we're arriving into Detroit Metro Airport and the plane is landing. I'm seeing all these people out there and I'm like, wow. And the riots, gonna... the riots yeah, were that time. Just over a year before. Yeah. So I'm thinking, oh man, what did I do? And so we'll was on the plane and he said, they're going to love you. And I was like, I don't know about that because, you know, this was some deep stuff. So I get off the plane and thinking all this hate is going to be taking place. And there was so much black love, so much white love, so much Polish love, so much Mexican love. 
grande, grande, grande. It was like just, it was a beautiful thing. Then the mayor, they greeted me and the governor, which was Governor George Romney, Mitt Romney's dad, and the Is mayor of Detroit, wow. Mayor Cavanaugh. Uh -huh. So they said to me right away, we need you to come back to the University of Detroit. The riots is torn up our city. We need to build this city again. So don't don't accept another, because I had to be average. I could go wherever I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And everybody was trying to get me at that time. Mm -hmm. And they said, we'll even offer the job to Will Robinson as your coach. That's Naturally, I'm like, yeah, right. I'm at the University of Detroit, no big deal. Mm -hmm. So I go out and play that season in 68 with the University of Detroit. And um, they reneged on the deal. <laughs> they said, we got you here and you can't transfer because you don't want to sit out another year. And oh, so we're not man. going to give the job to Will Robinson. We're going to give it to Jim Harding, who's a taskmaster. You guys on this team need to be, and we had got down to number seventh in the nation. We were like, wow, what a turnabout. Wow. And Will was so hurt. And so he got signed that contract and, you know, get, get into writing. Right. <laughs> you but know? Will was so hurt and because that was integrity. You couldn't, you know, NC2A rules. You couldn't like do anything in writing. But That's Will right. was so hurt. That's right. That's and right. I was so hurt. And then the draft came up, came up that year. And Kareem, they were, the ABA was going after Kareem. And Kareem said, mm -hmm. I'm not going to play over there. I'm going to go to the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And the all the all American team was Pistol Pete Maravich, uh, uh, Rick Mount, mm -hmm. Calvin Murphy, myself, and Kareem. That was mm. uh, that was the all American team that year. <laughs> the ABA and I had won. Uh, Kareem won the MVP of the of the of the league. No, no, he four won Hall of Famers. Four Hall of yeah. Famers. <laughs> I know he. <laughs> <laughs> Like so he, had, he he was the you know the John Wooden basically award he won the That's outstanding right. so they gave the outstanding college player to me uh, the outstanding college player mm -hmm. of the year and so uh, after receiving my award uh, Hannah Storm's father yes he uh, ran the ABA he was like an owner yeah, yeah. for the ABA yeah mm -hmm. Denver Denver Rockets he came and said listen if you come with us in the ABA we'll break that four year rule. And so we want you to come and we will say, if the, if the, if the NC2A and the NBA put pressure on us, we'll say, we signed Spencer Haywood under the hardship rule. They created a hardship. I had hardship because my mother, my family was still picking cotton in Mississippi. Wow. So they signed me and said, look, if you get uh, maybe five, six points and three rebounds, the gambit would work. We will be able to usurp, you know, and get get under the NBA and get draft picks earlier for two years before they could they could even touch them. And so I was lucky that year. I got 30 points, 20 rebounds, was the MVP of the league, MVP of the All-Star game, rookie of the year, leading scorer, leading rebounder. Ooh. And then they said, oh, we're going to give you the largest contract in sports history. Now, now Mr. I'm Haywood. I wanted to ask you a question real quick. Who had the better season, you or Kareem? Who had the better season? Oh, I had the better season for sure. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. He, 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 he had a serious season. <laughs> yeah. But that year, that was my year. <laughs> yep, yep. 
fact that I don't think there's another rookie. The only one that yeah. I possibly went closer to me as the rookie was Will Chamberlain. Yeah. So. No, you've had the great, you had the greatest rookie season ever. I've always said that. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, um, so they gave me this contract for 1.9 and I didn't have an agent because I said, Hey, you know, they, they're going to do right by me. I did right by them. And they ended up giving me a fraudulent contract. They gave me a contract for 1.9, but what they said in the latter stages of the, of the contract is that you would have to work and be owned by Ringsby Truck Line, who owned the Rockets, the Denver Rockets. Oh my goodness. And you would have to, in order to get your money, you would have to be employed from age 50 to age 70. And then we would also put your money, the $10,000 in a Madoff plan on Wall Street. And that's how we would generate the money. It was just so fraudulent, so ridiculous. Oh my God. So I got an agent and we went in to get the the contract changed. So I walked in and said, we need to change the contract. I got an agent, I'm I'm approaching 21. So I I think I want to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And the owner looked us both in the eye and said, you get your nigger ass out of here and take that Jew-ass lawyer with you. I ain't changing nothing. You can't go back to college and you can't go to the NBA. You're stuck here. I was like, wow, everything's turning up like Mississippi to me again. Every time I look around, I got this Mississippi shit going on. Everywhere, everywhere, don't matter. So all of a sudden, uh, they contacted Sam Schumann from the Seattle Supersonics who were the two expansion teams. Mm Phoenix Suns and Seattle. Yes. So Phoenix had went and got Connie Hawkins the year before. Yep. And I had John, I had um Jerry uh, Colangelo on the yeah. show on the tenth edition of where they at. That was yep. the guy who said, "We got we got to tear up the, that ABA because we're going to be competing with them. We need to get some players too." So Sam Schumann said, "I'm going to sign Spencer Haywood. He might not play this year, but we're going to make a statement." And they signed me to the real contract. I got there and. Uh, I was like, Sam, I want to play. And he was like, but you're an underclassman, which meant that you got to wait for four years after your high school class had graduated before you can make money for your family or anything. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, they used the hardship rule on me in the ABA. Why can't you fight for me in the NBA? He said, it's going to cost me a couple of million dollars. I mean, wow. you know, my team ain't worth that. And and so he he finally came around, Lenny Wilkins, and everybody was talking to him. Let him play. Let's get this thing on. And we had, gotta, we're gonna be a revolutionary squad. Let's be it. And so, had Coach Wilkins on the show too. <laughs> Plus, but he was a player. That's same. right. He's a player. Exactly. Player coach. Later on. Mm-hmm. So we filed for the rights to play, and the NBA filed to get an injunction from from not to play. So in the first. 10 games, they were, ladies and gentlemen, we have an illegal player on the floor, number 24. This game is under serious protest. And then I would play and they would beat me up. And, you know, because they had told the veterans, if he wins this, if he wins this case, you guys are going to be out of a job on the back end because you're going to have all these young players coming in. Uh-huh. So the union didn't back me. They were like, oh, no. We don't want to put ourselves out of a job. And so then they got an injunction against me to to sit for 10 days and I had to sit and and didn't play. Then I got another injunction to play again Mm. as the case is moving its way through the court system. And and I got an injunction. So this time I'm playing in Chicago. I'm warming up. 
you know, and the owner of the Chicago Bulls says, well, let's sue Spencer Hayward for $600 million. Six hundred thousand. Six hundred thousand. Just suing for six hundred thousand because Chet Walker hurt his ankle during the warm up wow. while he was on the floor, which he didn't hurt his ankle, but uh -huh. it was uh -huh. the because that was in a I was in a dog fight, and mm. then, you know the NC two A was like just you know he's going to destroy basketball as we know it. We're not going to be able to get our players and won't hold them for no four years. This is going to be devastating to our economic. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't say that. A student athlete. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was like BS. So, yeah, yeah. so the ABA was then suing me as well. And then I finally get to Cincinnati and I'm getting ready to play. And they said, ladies and gentlemen, we have an injunction against number 24, the illegal player. And tonight he must be escorted off the grounds in which this arena sat on. So they put me out into the snow. Now, mind you, I'm 20 years old. Mm, mm, mm. I'm standing out in the snow and I'm just like freezing. And then finally the game is over. Bus came around, picked me up, took me on in. And then the case had worked its way through the district. And so now we're getting ready to move into the, to the Supreme Court. And so that's when Will was saying, okay, we're going to be all right. In the meantime, we had a uh, great legal team on my side, just serious, uh, the greatest names in legal. So it was a big thing for them because it was like Roe versus Wade, Brown versus yep. versus the Board of Education. And then at the, at, the, at the same time, a similar time in the courts, we had Kurt Flood was there fighting for baseball. Right, free agency and everything. And free then Os Oscar Robinson before that too, yeah. as well. But no, for Oscar was there as a group team because mm -hmm. they wanted to now that was after me they wanted to have free agency to travel uh -huh. I mean, the other okay okay yeah and so um so it was muhammad ali was there with for mm -hmm. the vietnam war yes 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 so, so i worked my way to the supreme court and and lo and behold my case was won under the sherman antitrust act which states that you cannot have an American, uh, and Thurgood was, was reading the docs in terms of uh, Thurgood Marshall, yes, was sir. reading the doc in terms of, you. we can't ask these young men to go to Vietnam and we're sending them over there in droves to fight. And yet they can't make money for their family. Now in hockey, you have the right to go when you're young Tennis, you can go when you want to. Mm -hmm. Baseball, you can go when you want to. All non-revenue sports, you can go when you want to. But basketball and football, right. um, economics here, we can't have that. Mm -hmm. And so he said it was wrong. And under the Sherman Antitrust Act, I won my case. Seven to two. Yeah, I was like so joyful, like, oh my God, I can play. And then I was still having problems with playing on the floor because players were you know, treating me differently. Yeah. Then we got to Milwaukee. And normally the whole team would move and go downstairs and leave me upstairs and let people throw and hit me with bottles and all that stuff. And I was well suited for it because I was from Civil City, Mississippi. Mississippi, you've been through it, exactly. I've been through this, I'm like, y'all yeah. calling me a name? Man, I, they used to tell, I thought that was Golf my name. 
They used to hit yeah, golf balls. Golf balls at my head. Come on, man. This ain't, you know? So, so Kareem didn't go down. He said, "Hey, we should play. Let's get it on. I want to see if he got it." So me and him stood out in the middle of the floor, and then the teams came up, and we just ball and played, and then the kind of thing went off of me. But and then later on, I was playing in Baltimore. Thurgood and Will Robinson wanted me to come for dinner. I sat with them having dinner, and he was explaining to me, son, you don't know this. You will be ostracized for years for this. Yep. And sure enough, I was. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And so that's why the book today is called The Spencer Haywood Rule, even though it's no ruling yet. Now, they call it early entry. They call it one and done. Mm -hmm. They call it some other thing, you know. But mm -hmm. ruling itself is Haywood. It's a Supreme Court ruling. Haywood versus the NBA. Mm -hmm. And that that's book. And, and that's the ruling. But now we're asking the NBA and the, P and then the Players Association just change the name because of history, because of Black movement, the Black history movement and, and BLM right now. Please mm -hmm. don't leave me out of the picture. That's right. Just rule into what it is. Because you've been changing it. You've been saying it was like early entry, hardship, uh, one and done. But call it what it is. It's the Spencer Haywood rule. And I want to talk about this book. I want to push this book by my good friend, Mark J. Spears, and another yep. good individual by the name of Gary Washburn, two of the great basketball writers around. And it's called, the book is called The Spencer Haywood Rule Battles, Basketball in the Making of an American Iconocast right there. You know what I mean? So it's, it's. Now listen it's, to this. Now, this ruling is the 50th anniversary this year because I won in March. Mm -hmm. So uh, the gross amount of money that has been made by this poor boy from Silver City, Mississippi, ain't no city and ain't no silver. Mm -hmm. uh, for NBA players revenue, $30 billion. And they don't even know my name. And, and Mr. Haywood, and that's what I wanted to ask you here with the great Spencer Haywood, Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame on the 40th episode of Where They At. My name is Nabate and I wanted to ask you about this, Spencer, about do players, have players personally thanked you? Like, and if so, please share the names of those players that know their history and personally thanked you for what you've done for them. Uh, in passing, you know, maybe a couple, but uh, the one that has thanked me and he just did a piece on Showtime called The Rule, LeBron James. Mm -hmm. And last week we had a talk with his film people as to looking for the movie of the Ooh. Spencer Hayward story. Yes, the bio so biopic. LeBron James is that guy. And, you know, I, I mean, he's the guy. Yes, indeed. Uh, Chris Paul knows of it he know what's right and he's the chairman of the board for the players association mm -hmm. so he is in the mix in terms of well we need to change the name that's all we need it ain't no mm -hmm. big deal adam silver and david stern helped me get this book rights this book deal mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and they and david stern in particular wanted to see the name change because he thought i had been done wrong for years for these 50 years yeah, so God i rest his soul 
Mm-hmm. God rest his soul. He, it was his, that was his baby, mm-hmm. and he was going to write the forward. Why? But he passed before it happened. You know? Wow! So wow. it's out in the air. It's out in the universe. And you know, I look at everything in my life. You know, when I did my Hall of Fame speech, and I, I ended it by saying, you know, my mother used to sing this song by Mahalia Jackson. He may not come when you want him, but he's right on time. And that's what I live by now. I've been blessed with health, uh, good health, and I'm waiting for my day that it would happen. And I know it will happen, but sometimes it takes a little long time. It takes a little longer time than you think it would be mm-hmm. because God wants you to be molded and a better person. He wants me to be better and better. And he wants me to be a beacon, a beacon out here. So I'm waiting on that time, but I do my homework and I do all of my stuff. Yes. So yes. I'm right here and willing and ready. And thanks to LeBron James, he's helping me to get this, get this out here and get things done. And there's other players, Durant, he knows, but he's mm-hmm. so shy and he don't like fight with for me like I want him to. Ah! No, because we're Sonics, you know. Uh-huh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Sonics, that's you know. Right. He's the last draft pick for the Sonics. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was right there with him the mm-hmm. when we brought him up to Seattle. I was, you know, mm-hmm. that's my guy, you know. And, well, and Kyrie, I'm sure too, because Kyrie is very, I don't you know, know it like he should. Wow, I'm that shocked because he's be very enlightened on stuff. I know, but guys don't know this story. Wow. Wow. Don't know it, and so. Hopefully, uh, we get this done because you know it takes the movie a time to put it together and all that stuff. So you can't do that real fast. But mm-hmm. there is a piece that LeBron has done. Uh, it's like six and a half minutes. It's just tremendously beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it was done with Showtime. And I'm hoping that he takes this and put it on ABC and all the other places that he has contact with. And the NBA put it on on uh, TNT before a game. Uh, yes. so that people can see that just so the players will know we talk about black lives matters and black history matter why not this one person that has created all the wealth and not only that I created a large amount of wealth for the owners of the NBA because the teams were we only had 14 teams and by breaking that rule we were able to bring in a lot of players young players coming into the NBA in droves so mm-hmm. we expanded from that 14 to 30 Wow. And the franchise went from 300 million to 400 million to 4 billion, 3 billion, 2 billion. So I'm, I'm, I created all this. But can you imagine a little old boy from Silver City, Mississippi, that created wow. all of this, this stuff going on right now? And and speaking of wealth, there was a, there's a situation. Now, there's a story about Nike. Nike. How you had an opportunity to have a stake in Nike and your lawyer or agent or something denied well, it for you? Please, well, I know. Oh. I know. What happened was, you know, I'm up, up in Seattle, so Nike's up the street in Port. I mean, in, outside of Portland, Portland Oregon. Mm-hmm. So they were looking for somebody, you know, to be a, a billboard for them. And so they chose me and I chose them because I was like, we want to do something for the, the Northwest. We, people forget about us up here. And they came in town to shot to shot. And they said, we're going to give you some stock that's worth certain stuff because we don't have the funds right now. We just, this is our first year. And so I said, oh, great. <clears throat> so I just dash off 
to play my games because we were going on the road and you play games like you'd be on the road for, you know, like a month or so. You come back with a beard and everything. So uh, my agent and this guy who did the deal, he couldn't figure out how to get his money out of that deal. And he was like, man, them shoes are never going to make it. This is not going to happen. I'm like, no, man, I don't want my tax to go up because I'm taking more money in right now. I want to stay at this tax bracket. And he had the power of attorney letter that I had given him the power of attorney to negotiate. He went back, took the cash, threw my, my whole process out. I came back. I'm hurt because he didn't did this. And we never spoke any, any time after that, but he just destroyed the whole deal and so there's numbers out there i would think my my, my stock would have been at a billion dollars now oh my god yeah Ooh, man that's that's one of those and and of course you know uh during that same period after that i mean i played hardball and i got to new york and because i was always let me just talk about my musical side when i was at the university of detroit i had a show it was called real jazz. <laughs> I didn't want to play yeah. the other stuff. So I was like, this is real jazz. Mm -hmm. WVOD in Detroit, the University <laughs> of Detroit. We went around the city. We, we, were, we were tight. Mm -hmm. And I played my music and my, uh, my theme song was, uh, boy, oh boy, what a night from Lee Morgan's uh, Sidewinder. Oh, yes. And that thing used to hit. Boom, yes. boom, boom. So that was how I come on. And then I would roll up to Baker's Keyboard Lounge on Livinois and mm -hmm. Seven Mile because I went to school at Livinois and Eight. I went to school at the University of Detroit at Six Mile and mm -hmm. Livinois. So mm -hmm. we roll up there and they were like, you can't get in here. And I would like beg, please. Oh, I got to come in. I got to come in. I got to hear me some jazz. <laughs> and they were like, you come in here and you sit over there. Don't make no noise. Just sit over there and be cool. <laughs> Because I was on the age, you know, yeah, little, and, and, and soda pop. They give you a soda pop, you know, like, <laughs> like I was like, then they're just listening to all these greats, man. I'm like, wow. And, and Mr. Haywood, that was me at Bradley's when I was in high school. My yeah, parents so let me I hang out 16 and 17 years old. I was hanging out right. They gave me soda, but I was, I was staying in place. You know, yes. You know, like I'm so happy young yeah. people. <laughs> so I would go in and I was a groove man. I was listening to. George Benson came through, you know, uh, and at the same time, you know, Miles was over a little bit earlier and when I was in high school, he was over at the Bluebird cleaning out, you know, cause he had had some problems with, with drugs. Yeah, yeah, so he's playing at the yeah. Bluebird in Detroit. Uh -huh. And I was like always coming over there, me and my boys, let's stand outside, man, we can hear the sound. Yes. And we would be standing outside listening to Miles. Pharaoh Sanders was Ooh. through there. And the Jones brothers? The Jones brothers the Jones would come brothers back, right? right there, you Ooh, know. Yeah, well, that yep. was natural. Marcus Belgrave's trumpet oh, player. All these yes. people were oh, there, you know. Belgrave, underrated. Oh, underrated, man. big yes. time. So, <laughs> so the music scene was like, it's happening. So when I signed the contract to go to Seattle, I had a jazz station up there, had a show up there. And then the show, the station was going down a little bit. So I bought part of the station to keep the music alive. Yes. And that's when I really hitched my wagon to CTI, CTI, all of that music that was that's coming up records. there. Yeah. They would come to Paramount Northwest and you had all of that band. I would take them all from there 
bring them down to my home. We sit around talking, listening to my music because I had a collection that was enormous. Mm. Because I, when I got my contract with, with the Sonic, mm -hmm. I ordered every Blue Note, every Prestige, every Impulse, every Ooh. Columbia. Columbia, <laughs> yeah. Atlantic too, Atlantic too. <laughs> yeah. So I call up Kareem. You falling way behind, buddy. <laughs> really falling behind. Look at my stash. And so he then stashed up his. Yeah. Charles Scott loaded up his. So we were all in competition, just straight out jazz music. And that mm -hmm. Charlie Scott would be like, You haven't heard anything until you hear Terry Collier. I'm like, boy, I got all the Terry stuff. Come on, so for strings and and Charlie Stepney and all them boys out of Chicago. Come on, mm -hmm. get out of here. Mm -hmm. so we were talking jazz all the time and just screwed. And then when I got to the Knicks, I had my show on WRVR. Mm-hmm. That's New right. York. That's right. Yes, indeed. So I said, man, I was just blowing music and stuff. And, and Ron Carter was my friend. Mm-hmm. Still is my friend. Yes, and his indeed. son used to come over and do work around the brownstone with, with the Iman and I, and we were yeah, just wow. and, and so <laughs> so Ron was going to teach me the bass because I wanted to play the bass. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. plus the fact that you know Paul Chambers from Detroit. Oh. Ron, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean Ron is the shit. So Ooh, yeah. Uh, so. Uh, and the Eastman that, graduate. He, we both graduated from Eastman, but he was forty years before me, though. But yeah. we're both Eastman grads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But he's Detroit. Yeah, that's right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, one night, uh, we were. She was going to play, and was playing at the Blue Note. Mm -hmm. Nina Simone. Mm -hmm. She had just came back to this country because of taxes and all the other crap they was messing with her because of course a revolutionary and they were just you know like J. Edgar Hoover and all these people that's mm -hmm. how they do yep and so she was playing at the blue note and I'm sitting there man and they was talking the tax man came in she is not gonna play and the word came around and me and Iman was sitting there like oh man we gotta we gotta catch Nina so I go up to her dressing room Nina let me talk to the tax man. So we were talking to the tax man. You got to have 15. I'll let y'all off $12,000. Can you come up with it right now? And she can play. And I go back to you. Give me the checkbook. I'm going <laughs> to pay our taxes. She's like, no, you're not. You're so in love with these jazz people. You got to calm down. And mm -hmm. then the tax man said, oh, man, we'll let her play. Mm -hmm. And she, <laughs> she, she just blew our mind. And wow! That was so beautiful. Wow! Go down and catch uh, uh, all of the players. I used to go to Bleak, Bleaker. Oh, Bleaker Street, Bleaker Street, Bleaker. I, the Village Gate. Village Gate was right Village there. Gate, I, I lived in the gate, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the Village Vanguard on yes, still there, still there. And Sweet yeah. Basil too. Sweet Basil yeah. too. Yep, all yep. All the uh, Fat Tuesdays. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. You know, so, and then when you know when they, when I moved out here, because uh, I caught everybody in Detroit at Baker's, so I, mm -hmm. I, I moved out here. We started a whole jazz scene out here in, in Las Vegas. Wow, pretty powerful. We built, built the Smith Center. I put my company, my real estate company. I built the floor in, in the Smith Center mm -hmm. and the Jazz Cabaret Lounge, which is just a massive. Well, I'm gonna have to play there, sir. I'm gonna have to come play there. I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I called Kurt Elling, uh, 
Herb Alpert and his wife. Oh, or, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I call yeah. all, you know. Oh, wow. And and, yeah. and and Mr. Haywood, I want to talk to you about someone I feel, I think is the most fascinating individual in the history of basketball. He was your former teammate with the Seattle Supersonics and an ABA star himself by the name of John Brisker. John Brisker. People don't really remember this cat. They don't know but John Brisker. Yes, talk about it. I know John Brisker. John <laughs> Brisker and I, we grew up together. See, mm-hmm. in Detroit, you have Conant Gardens. Mm-hmm. Next area is called Hamtramck. Mm-hmm. Hamtramck had Rudy Tomjanovich, John Brisker, all of those boys on that same team. Mm. And then between us, they had this place called Krajinki Buick. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> what a name. Krajinki, because it's, 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 no, it's, it's, it's a Polish community. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh-huh. it's Polish and Black. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so we would go and play each other back and forth. And then Rudy and I would always come by and walk, and John, we walk by Krajinki Buick, man. I'm not gonna get a Cadillac, but I sure do want a deuce and a quarter. <laughs> so you young what? players talking, you know, just uh, kicking it. Yeah. And so John, he got down to Toledo University, mm-hmm. and I was at the University of Detroit, and we played against each other. And then we got into the he went to the Pittsburgh Pipers mm-hmm. in the ABA and he started yeah. playing over there. And John was like, you know, hey, if you want to fight, we fight. If you want to shoot, we shoot. So he was that kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool with me. I was cool because John, yeah. was, he was sort of like a revolutionary. Yes. But a gangster. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, 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 right. And, ha- and he had respect for you, of course. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Real recognized real, you know? Real recognized real. And so <laughs> we ended up in Seattle together. And he didn't get a chance to play a yeah. lot. There was some friction between him and Bill Russell. That's deep. You know, I'm surprised about that. Play, and then he ended up uh, he ended up with this African group that lived in uh, I think it was not at not Uganda. 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 Later, he was, okay. went to he went to. Um, oh well, anyway, okay, he went to another part of Africa. Okay. Was, Rwanda was it Rwanda? No, it wasn't Rwanda. It was the original first colony for black folks. Uh, oh, uh, Liberia, Liberia, mm-hmm. Liberia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was in Liberia, hung out, and he was doing business over there with some guys who were, you know, we got gold, we got rubber plantations, we got all this stuff. So, mm. you know, but they wasn't getting it out of the ground. They wasn't doing all this stuff. They were just he was just disgusted with basketball and how America has treated him, and he stayed over there. And then he came home in the summer. And he had his bungles. He had pull them out of out of uh, storage, and he gave them to me. Said, "You keep these until I get back." Wow. And the next thing I know, he was like, "I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch the plane." And I was like trying to block him, and his mom was like, "You gotta stop him from going back, cause you know I'm from Africa. I know the deal." And so he was like, "I gotta go," and he left us, man. And then day to night, he was in my home. He left and and got on the plane, get headed back out. And he went into Liberia and then on into Uganda, and we never heard from him since. And he was playing basketball with Idi Amin and doing all that stuff, but uh-huh. never heard him. He became a missing person, and and that's the mystery of John Brisker. Now, I knowing John Brisker, I, until I see a birth certificate and I see a death certificate, <laughs> I'm this brother gonna pop up somewhere. <laughs> and, oh, look at me now. So. <laughs> 
He goes, he goes, Spencer, Spencer. You gonna be like, what? Everybody is is officially knowing that he's gone, but I, I mean, wasn't official, so I'm like. Shit, them Detroit boys, man. You better watch them. That's right. Nine, nine, not nine lives, 18 lives. 18 lives, you know? <laughs> so, uh, that's John Brisker, man. What a wonderful wow. He was a good person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. He's a strong, good person. Yes. Yeah. The game was similar to that of uh, LeBron James. Ah, yeah. Early game with grit and strength and stuff like that. Mm, so, got to the basket at will, you know, that type of, yeah. Will, he can hit it from the outside. He had, he had some stuff. Wow, wow. Now, now, Mr. Haywood, I want to talk with you about, you know, when you came to New York, you know, you had issues with, you mentioned earlier in the show about with cocaine addiction and everything. And, um, and that kind of like derailed your career a little bit because what happened with the Lakers in 1980, you didn't get to, to fin to celebrate with them. Um, right. But talk about like now that experience, well, like, do you, do, Oh yeah. Yeah. But, but real I quick. Mm-hmm, sorry. Oh yeah. One that's just a quick question. Do you feel that if that didn't happen, like you could have been one of the greatest players of all time, or you just felt to yourself, like, you know what, as a chapter in life, I had to live. Like, how do you look I at it? I had to live, but I could have been the greatest. Mm-hmm. I would, Right there, right there, where but Carl Malone is sitting in second. That was my journey because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I don't think I could have caught Kareem because he was gonna keep me at his. Base. Or Tim Dun- or Tim Duncan with the with the five rings, you know. <laughs> yeah, but all of that stuff. But oh no, the Magic and Kareem always catch me. And when we go to the All Star game, we had five in a row, and you screwed it up. I'm like, hey, I know, bro. <laughs> no, those are my guys. Those are my yes, guys. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you know, Matt. You're just talking. You're just talking. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The way Magic talk. <laughs> yeah, when I left when I left Seattle, I was heartbroken because of the fact that I had went through court. I did everything right in Seattle. I was an all pro uh, first team and oh, second man. team up there. All my years, I averaged 26 and 13. Yes. And I'm going to New York and I get into New York and and the press was there and they had me, oh, you're going to save the Knicks? And I said, yeah. And all the players on the Knicks, Phil Jackson and Walt Frazier, how are you going to save us? And we got two championships. And so the friction became a part of that. Uh-huh. And then I, I fell in love. The first time in my life where I just took time and said, hey, this beautiful African sister yes. walking down the street and we met up at Cleo's and we start hitting it off. And I'm like, <laughs> Where are you from, girl? What you wearing all this head garb for? She's like, I'm a Muslim girl from Somalia, <laughs> but I'm model. <laughs> said, What's your name, girl? She said, My name is Iman. I said, My name is Spencer. <laughs> I'm that. And so we just hooked up and we we did fashion. We did all of these things that you could imagine. We were taking pictures with. Uh, Lord Snowden in London, Ooh. shooting my shots, photos of us, and and we travel. We were doing movies. She was doing some movies with Otto Preminger, mm-hmm. the Human Factor, and I was doing my thing with the Jazz and playing with the Knicks. So it was like this this dream couple. And then we were we were conscious. We weren't like just some people that was just hooked up. Right. And then we started talking about uh, how could we enhance the people, the African-Americans in America. She would like say, well, y'all need our culture. And I was saying, 
you know, we need to go back to Africa. You need our technology. So the things were going. And so we, we were looked upon as like, ah, maybe they're not so innocent. These two might can be a problem. Uh-huh. And then, you know, Coke came on the scene. I didn't like it because I was snorting it and I didn't like it. So when I got, when we, I was traded to Los Angeles, to the Lakers, mm-hmm. I go into one of these snooty parties and everybody's, you know, want, want us to be at the party. And I'm sitting. Hollywood, in, Hollywood life. Hollywood, mm-hmm. Hollywood is big time. Mm-hmm. And so everybody was in the back room hitting this pipe, you know, because they was talking about, wait a minute, you know, Freebasin is not like snorting cocaine. You can't catch no no. Uh, you won't you won't have no drip through your nose. You won't. It's non-addictive. And not only that, it's organic. When you put it in the water and you boil it, it falls. The germs fall to the bottom, and then the rock come to the top, and you smoke that. So I hit it that night, and Man. wow, I went wrong because I said, "Damn, it's practice time." Damn, they practice. I was in there for four hours and didn't know I had looked like it was a minute. And then when I went to practice and I finished the practice, I was like, I got to get back over. I got to get me another hit. Wow. So I, I went right back over and I kept doing that all season. I watched my game go from, from 25 and 12 down to seven and five. I was 15 pounds lighter. This is during the season of champion. So I uh, ended up, we get to the championship where we're playing against uh, Philadelphia 76 and Julius. And it was, it was a good time. And I said, you know, we were, we were after practice. I was like rolling. And I said, you know, I got to, maybe I hit one time and then I'll just chill out, which the diction don't work like that. So I hit it one time. And then we came to, I came to practice that morning, uh, just out of it. And, and because what happened in between time, I stayed all night mm-hmm. at this, at this, at this person's house, hitting this shit. And then, and I was like nervous and my body was all out of whack. And I was, you know, like having palpitations, but I could have been dying. But then he says, well, hey, have a quaalude. You'll, you'll be, you'll calm you down. So I took a quaalude. So I'm driving from home, I went and took a shower and I'm getting all like dude up like I'm going someplace, but I'm going to practice at Loyola Marymount. So I stop at the light, I fall asleep and people are blowing the horn, blah, blah, blah. Hey, get it together. And I'm riding around in my big Rolls Royce and they were like, that's Spencer Haywood. <laughs> oh man, I'm like, oh yeah. So I get it together and I go to the practice and we had played, uh, I think we played the first game, a mm-hmm. second game. And and I'm sitting in practice and we had a stretching program that I brought to the team. Everybody got to stretch. You've got to meditate. You got to do these things. Mm-hmm. And I'm laying there sleeping while we're doing meditation. And Jamal is hitting me. He's like banging me. And I'm like, I woke up, what you doing to me, man? And everybody on the team looking at me like, damn, what? What has happened to you? And, and then I said, okay, I'm gonna get it together. So I came back and we playing against Philadelphia in, in the next game. And I'm thinking my hands were all out of whack. So I was just, and then I was mad that they what they pulled me out of the starting lineup because my drugs were telling me, hey man, it ain't you, it's them. So uh, so uh, then I'm, I'm squeezing the ball in my hand. We up by one point, the ball slipped out of my hand and roll while Kareem is getting ready to shoot his free throw 
to put us ahead. <laughs> and oh. they, they called a meeting and said, you gotta, you know, we need to set you down. You need to be away from the team. And I just snapped. And because we only had three games to go in the finals. Mm -hmm. So I'm snapping and Dr. Vandeway, Kiki Vandeway's father mm -hmm. said, he's sick and I need to take care of him. So he put me in his environment, in his home. And so for this period, because I was going, I had to stay clean. I had to be right. So I said, well, at least I'll be ready for the parade if we win, because I only missed three games. Kareem missed two mm -hmm. in that final. And Magic had to play the center in the forward position. Yes, sir. And they won it. And then the guy says, well, not only is he off the team, but uh, we're not going to give him a playoff share. So I, I was, my playoff share was taken. Uh, and then they didn't let me go in the parade. So I was just brutally hurt. And, and I found out later on that the wives on the team and girlfriends on the team were mad at us because they thought we were showboating because Iman would come to the games late because oh. he didn't know how to drive. Nobody on the team, wise or anybody, thought enough about asking her, can we pick you up and bring you to the game? Because mm. she waited for my friend to get out of teaching. He was teaching at Long Beach State, and he'd pick her up and bring her to the game. Yeah, that's so jealousy. That's, that was jealousy. Stuff you know was so, yeah. It was so L.A. for me. And I was like, wow. But they didn't know. And so I ended up, uh, the league says, well, you know, you got to get out of here because you've been a troublemaker from 1970. So now we want you to go to Italy. So I went to Italy and the, the Italians loved me up and, and got my realness, my life back. I came back to the Washington Bullets. I was the comeback player of the year, but I didn't get it because they gave it to Gus. Because normally you have a comeback player, he has to beat someplace. Mm -hmm. So I came back and they gave it to Gus Williams or somebody who had set out for a year of contract. And that hurt. And then... Uh, but they talk about you being a troublemaker, but the cat sat out a year. Oh, okay. That's, yeah, hypocritical. That's the mm -hmm. you got to What the Thurgood Marshall said, you're going to have some of those days. Days. against you. And so, um, and so at that point in time, I came back, I'm playing strong with the Washington Bullets, and then Iman has a, an, a bad accident in New York in a cab. So I'm trying to figure out, Will they throw me out of the league if I ask them, can I go home? So I didn't even ask them. I just said, hey, I'm quitting because I got to go home to take care of my wife. I have a young daughter. I have her sisters from Somalia living with me. So nobody's there to take care of them. So I took care of them and it got everything well and everything. And then I said, I want to come back to the league. And they gave, brought me into Detroit and gave me one day of practice to show that you know they were the league was okay. And then they said, no, we cut him after one day. So I didn't get a chance to play again. You know, even players were like, you're not fit for this team because you're an addict, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was really some brutal shit. So uh, I, was so, I was so hurt by that because I was at home and I was with Will Robinson. He was the assistant general manager, my dad. Mm -hmm. So I was in a safe zone and I didn't get a chance to play. So that was just brutal time. But that's, that makes you stronger and healthy. So I started doing my psychology work with my psychiatrist and I started doing 12-step programs. I set up my foundation to help mm -hmm. more people like me. And, uh, 
and life began to take another toll. And then Iman was like, my work is not done. I, I need to go back to work. And so our daughter, Zuleika, was, was, was like there with her. And so I said, well, let me take her and raise her in Detroit with my family and, and my new wife-to-be. And so I, I, I have two more daughters and then I had a daughter in between marriages. So I have four girls. Mm-hmm. I have two doctors. Uh, and I have all my girls have graduated college and masters and doctorates. And uh, yes. I've been married to my current wife, Linda, for 30 years. Wow. And life has been in a special journey for me because everything that happened was supposed to happen for me to be where I am today. Yes. So I have no resentment. I have no, I don't, I don't say nothing bad about nobody. I don't say what happened to me was bad. I say that it was God's will to build this mold of who I am today. Because you know, when you when you're making a mold, it's hard, man. You, you gotta you're making it out of brass, you gotta beat it, you gotta whip it, you gotta do all these things. You gotta go through something to mm-hmm. get to where you are today. And so today yes. I'm very, I'm very joyful and I'm very praiseful that my foundation is is running still and yes. we're doing good things. I play a lot of golf. I pray a lot. You know, I don't do five a day, but I, I still do three. So uh, so life is good. Life is good. And that's, that's a beautiful thing where you influence in so many people and inspiring so many people. And now we got to talk real quickly about current basketball. Now, you know, speaking of current basketball, current basketball is incredible, but I I still would like for them guys to make the change on the Spencer Hayward rule. It has to take place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You can't wait until this draft is over. You need to do it now because they're changing all the black lives matters, everything that is going on. It's time to do right by me. Now, let's talk about basketball. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, LeBron James, we talked about him earlier. Um, Michael Jordan, the whole debate about LeBron James, Michael Jordan. Where does LeBron James stand in comparison to Michael Jordan? Like, do you think he surpassed Mike or does he have a little bit more work to do or he'll never you surpass Mike? He, you could say he, can, he got more work to do, but, you know, I look at he's playing against European players who are MVP or not MVP, Giannis and... Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't, Jordan didn't have those players to play against. It was just American players. Yep. And the skill set wasn't as vast. The skill set was not like what it is today. Mm-hmm. So I look at all of the, the ins and outs of it. I put LeBron ahead of him because mm-hmm. he's the GOAT. Mm-hmm. I mean, the real coach you can't talk about because he's seven foot two. Yes, indeed. Cap. <laughs> Cap. <laughs> so, because, I mean, how do you sell a product like that? You know, because they're going to say, oh, he's just tall. He got all the stuff. He did this and he did that. But, you know, when you look at, like, the way basketball is today, I mean, you got to sell this. And this is the reality. LeBron is the GOAT. Cause he's done more. He's look at his stuff, what he's doing. And 36 years old, 18 seasons. But he would not have, he would have been, hold on. He got four extra years in because of me. But, but, but I guess. <laughs> but, but, but guess what? But still, no, absolutely. You're right about that. But guess what? I always say that the mileage is still the same, right? The mileage the is still, still the same. <laughs> <laughs> But it was because of you, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so um, 
and he's and he also got two hundred millions extra too because <laughs> year times four. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I prefer him because he is he's just he's an incredible player, man. This is we're gonna wait until you know he's out of the game and everything. And then people gonna stop hating on him and start saying, "Man, we witnessed this guy from the time he was." 18 until now. And he was the chosen one. The pressure he was under. The yeah. pressure, you know, like. Yeah, and he's the King James. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. wow. And I wanted to ask you too, the point guards in this league, have you seen a plethora of point guard talent? Because now, because it was in your day, it was the big man. It was about the big, the big man, man leading these teams. But they had the guards, they had Oscar, and they had Jerry. And they had That's all true. Of those guys, those are the only, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the point guards, you got Steph Curry shooting. I've never seen anything like that. You got Ooh. Damon Lillard oh, dropping damn. dimes and shooting. I mean, <laughs> damn I time. kind of play. And you got Luca, who's doing everything. And mm-hmm. that's why I, I sometimes I think, you know, by players coming early, they get a chance to horn their skill. Yep. And when they get to be 20, 21, they're incredible. Yeah. The ball. The ball kid that just came out. Uh, oh, uh, Lamelo. And Lamelo. I mean, Zach Levine. All these young players. Ooh. And Kyrie. Do you oh, think Kyrie? Kyrie Irving. Do you oh. think he's the most skilled player ever? People are saying, is he the most skilled Kyrie ever? Like skill set wise. Skill set wise, he and Steph Curry is right up there at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, those two are at the top. Um, you know, I got to keep throwing in Dane because mm-hmm. I, I, like, I like his stuff. Mm-hmm. There are some other players out there. There's just so many of them. Ooh, and it, so much great basketball. And I'm just giving these guys, the current players today, they're better than we would ever be because we didn't we don't have training. We didn't have those kind of uh, situations that they mm-hmm. have. They got training. They got eat right. I mean... As I mentioned earlier, you know, like, hey, man, I came into the league. Guys were sitting in, the, in at halftime. Give me a cigarette. Smoking <laughs> cigarettes. And, you know, I think I'll have my scotch right now. I have the glass. Get up it right now before I go out in the second half. You know, <laughs> these guys are serious. Yeah. This yeah. is serious basketball at its best. Wow. And that NBA basketball has never been this great in the numbers have never been this great. Not to take anything away from the Jordan era and anything like that, but it's just progress and it has moved to this level. And the king is the king. That's right, that's right. And I wanted to ask you, speaking of Detroit, you know, you have major roots in Detroit. Why is it that Isaiah Thomas does not get the credit that he deserves? Because a lot of people are not talking about Isaiah Thomas. Like this man as, you know, I don't understand. Like, you know, why is that? Haters, no. Because <laughs> I've just noticed, like a lot of people are ranking him low on point guard list and things like that. And this well, man, you know, that era, in that era, with um, with Michael Jordan and all of those guys, I rated Isaiah as number two or number three in that bunch. I mean, they can throw out all the people and say, "Hey, you know," but no, he was there. He. He did everything right. He played the right way. And Isaiah is this wonderful human being that has done so much for the union, for everything. But they just don't like him. And I'm trying to yeah. figure that out. And yeah. I think it's a Chicago kind of thing. <laughs> uh-huh. <Yeah. laughs> 
And you know, it's crazy. No, because, uh, because he was on the Pistons. My dad mm -hmm. was the assistant general manager with that team. And he mm -hmm. recruited most of those guys, including Isaiah. Yeah. But because they played a different style of play. And then one night he said something about Bird. And that was the last. Oh, like, oh 87. Boy. Yep. And Oh, boy. And, and spent. But, and but, just followed him. But Spencer, they don't remember. They think Isaiah was like all like thuggish or whatever. But I, they don't remember no. Isaiah was. But, 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 but he was doing that fast dribbling. All that stuff Kyrie's doing. Isaiah was all doing. That stuff. <laughs> Kyrie just sit down with Isaiah and say, "Okay," because he did it all. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. is that he was that kind of player, man. And to not get his credit, it's like me. I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Isaiah. Wow. Underrated. Yes, indeed. And then wow. They screwed him out of the Olympics. Yeah. That, that, was, that was a that was a real downer for me. And then I was living in Detroit at that time. And Will mm -hmm. Robinson, he just cried a lot about that. Yeah. And he had seen all basketball from the days of the beginning. And he ended up being the first black coach in NC2A division history. Mm -hmm. One. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Before I let you go, Mr. Haywood, and it is an honor to have the great. Spencer Haywood on the 40th edition of Where They At. And 40 is a round number right there. I had yeah, to get also, along. You know, the anniversary of right. Haywood versus the NBA, the Supreme Court ruling, and they still don't know who I am. Yes, and we got to change that. Before I let you go, we're going to do a segment. I always do a segment with my guests of rapid fire questions, you know, with quick answers called Fast Break, you know, a la 1980s Denver Nuggets style. You know what I mean? So, yes. You know, absolutely. So By I'm going to ask. Way, the NBA is playing ABA basketball right now. Basically. The only yeah. thing different the ball, mm -hmm. everything else. That's right. That absolutely for sure. And and wow. So I'm gonna ask you a couple questions, sir. And here we go. Here's the first question for the fast break segment. Which current player reminds you of you? I I, I like it myself until Giannis because he's stretchy, he's long, mm -hmm. and he rebounds. Because mm -hmm. I used to I used to get even in the NBA, I was doing 14 a game and mm -hmm. 29 points. Uh, that was my thing, and I'm stretchy long. I could hit the shot outside. I could play the defense. I could block shots. So that's who I, I liken myself on. That's a great comparison. Yes, indeed. Now, yeah. most underrated player of your generation, because you played in the 70s and 80s. To me, the late 70s, the best period of basketball to me. I love yeah. watching those games. You know, who's underrated a name that doesn't get mentioned anymore that you were like, oh, he's cold. <laughs> oh, my God. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> yes. That's all you got to say, Black Jesus. That's right. <laughs> Jesus. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> well, now, the now most. Another one, another one that don't get the credit, Rick Barry. <laughs> and guess what? I had Rick Barry on the 12th episode of Where They At. You see, I had him on the show, Rick too. Rick Barry is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. Woo! That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right, Rick. Woo! Wow. So I make, I'm gonna make sure I let him know you told you said that for sure. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Wow. Now, most bizarre teammate. <laughs> most bizarre That's teammate. John Brisker. Come oh, <laughs> on, I played with John Brisker. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought maybe someone stranger, but yeah, I, I kind of knew you would say that name. <laughs> Jeff Briscoe, wow. Okay, now, your greatest game, your greatest individual game in the pros. 
I, I don't know out of the numbers, but one night we were playing against uh, uh, the Sacramento Kings, but it's not the Kings. It was the it was Kent, Omaha, Kansas City, Omaha, Kansas City, Omaha Kings. I was playing against Sam Lacey and Nate Archibald, and we were like going. Nate and I were like tip to tap all year, all that year. The three of us, me, him, and Kareem, we were like going for who's going to be the MVP. So I wanted to show Nate what was going on. So I dropped 57 and 27 rebounds, five block shots, and we won the game. And I walked off like, hey, I got this. And of course, at the end of the year, Nate won. And he told, always tell me now, you blew it. <laughs> How was MVP. If you hadn't talked to me that night, I would I would have just lightened up a little bit. And then I was <laughs> Like, but no, you shouldn't have even been the MVP. Kareem should have been just throwing shade. <laughs> how, I was, <laughs> how is Tiny doing? How's his health and everything? Health is awesome. He's doing great. Okay, good, good. Okay. Doing great. Yes. And, and again, a shout out to the current Players Association where they created this health insurance. Tiny was able to get a heart transplant. Oh, wow. That's what... A lot of guys have gotten so many surgeries and so much stuff from that, from just what these players have done by creating the health insurance for us and our family. Uh, it's been awesome. Wow. It's life-saving. Yes, indeed. Wow. They yeah. don't know that. They don't know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm now, telling you, so you tell them. Yeah, you did. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm going to name two sets of players. Who was better? All right, here we go. Jerry West or Oscar Robinson? Oscar. Okay. Okay. Big old. Come on. The big old. But now Jerry ain't with no slouch. Now you better. <laughs> but I'm just saying the big old. Nah, it's another mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Now Magic or Larry? Because I played with Magic and I love Magic and I'm always going to take Magic. Yeah. <laughs> But Larry Bird was, they both was trendsetters and they changed the game for the 80s because we were like getting high and they came in and changed that whole mindset that, you know, it's not like just a, a get high league. It's a good league. It's a fun. It's activity. It's beautiful. And so we had fell into a slump. And so I, I, I rate them both basically the same. But, but since I played with Magic, I got to stay with my teammate. Ah, okay. No doubt. No. Michigan boy too. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> well, well, and, and There's another good, there's another good player. I mean, the two two good things that came out of Indiana was Larry Bird and Oscar Robinson. But I can't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Indiana's kind of a rival to Michigan, you know. So that's uh, you know the deal. You yeah, know what? Yeah. <laughs> well, now the film that you would watch over and over and over and over again, the film you never get tired of. Is it a sports film or is it? Oh, any film, any film. Yep. Oh, any. Uh, Denzel Washington and Spike Lee and Malcolm X. Oh, yes, 92. Yeah. Yes. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Wow. I have a lot of other films, but I'm just, that one just popped right out. Wow. Wow. Yes, indeed. And one more question for you in the segment. The one person dead or alive you would break bread with? The one person you've never met that's dead or alive that, that you would want to have lunch with? Nelson Mandela. Mm, yep. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Wow. Or Barack Obama. Uh, okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Woo. Well, Barack, is, Barack, you know, he's his folks are from Kenya. 
Iman's folks are from Kenya. Mm -hmm. And so I always wanted to break bread with him because he was talking. He talks basketball. I'm a basketball. And so I never got that chance. But it's, it will come. Oh, it will happen. Oh, it will happen. Definitely. Definitely. Wow. And, and one more question for you before I let you go. Sirius XM Real Jazz. Talk about your show on Sirius XM Real Jazz. Shout out well, to we, Mark Ruffin, you know, yes. who runs it. Mark Ruffin, uh, I'm looking so forward to this show because it, it puts me back where I'm most happiest. You know, basketball was my most happiest, happiest. And my second most happiest space was with jazz music and the jazz people who made it happen. So being on Sirius XM, playing on real jazz, it's gonna be a dream come true for me. Because I've been out of the business. I did for 27 years of broadcasting, but this is coming back into my my level of uh, where I am. Wow. So I have some questions for you though. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, let's talk about the trumpet players. Uh-huh. And it's right. right there. You see my trumpet right there? <laughs> Give me your top five trumpets. Ooh, okay. Okay, you, don't have to give, you don't have to give them. I know you I don't want to put, you know, you musicians don't like to talk about numbers. One, I'm just saying, give me your top five. Okay, the okay, I'll, I'll name the ones that influence me the most. The ones yes. that influence me, okay, definitely, definitely. Clifford Brown, he was the one that made me want to play. Clifford Brown, like Clifford Brown yeah. was strings when I heard that 13 yeah. years old. That was it right there. Yes, sir. Ooh, Woody Shaw. I'd say Woody Shaw, so Clifford Brown. Yes, very much, very much. Um, Roy Eldridge, Roy Eldridge, when I was young. Little jazz, little jazz. Yes, sir, so that's three. So Clifford Brown, Woody Shaw, Roy Eldridge. Um, gotta go with someone I knew so well in the last three of years of his life, Mr. Freddie Hubbard. Had the honor to play yeah. at his- You know, um, Freddie, Freddie would come with us and, and, and he spent time in my home in Seattle because he would CTI and they would do the big concert series. That's and we right. hang, and then he was a big jazz man. And we was together in LA. He even did a tune called Theme for Kareem. Kareem for Kareem. Yep, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes, indeed. So Freddie, and even though every trumpet player tries to sound like him, you know, yes. I still, he's still an influence to me like you know and um i would have to say booker little booker little booker little booker little Ooh, 23 years old he was only when he years old yeah. booker little booker urban Ooh, oh boy. that was a poor and then and eric dolphy is one of my favorite saxophonists ever you know those records Dolph. booker and eric oh my out front oh you know <laughs> my gosh Yes, sir. So those are my five that that have influenced me the most in my life. Clifford Brown, uh, uh, Woody Shaw, Freddie Hubbard, Booker Little, Roy Eldridge. Okay. I'm going to throw in a couple more just to keep you alive. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Lee Morgan and Wendy Marcellus. Woo! Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, Lee, that's the thing. Lee was an influence, too, for sure. But like Booker and guess what? Same year, 1938. Booker, Freddie and Lee. And they were born within uh, three months of each other. They were born within three wow. months of each other. 1938. Yes, indeed. And Winton, Winton, oh man, he he's he's a trumpet savant. I mean, a savant. He's a trumpet monster. He's a machine. Like yeah. he, uh, you know, oh, he really. And the thing was that with his classical music, I listen to Winton's classical as classical. much as his off oh, the chain. Woo, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So wow, <laughs> Smith Center, 
And I, I would catch him in this big band at the Smith Center here. Uh, and, uh huh. Yes, indeed. He would always be looking at me because I used to follow him in New York. And then when he came right. to Michigan, out the Michigan Theater, I would go over and check him out there. Mm-hmm. And he'd still be looking at me like, where did I know this guy? <laughs> I'm not saying, but he did say one thing that I got to talk to him about. He said, New Orleans is bad, but it ain't as bad as Mississippi. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Well, and even my girl Nina Simone, she said, Mississippi, god damn. That's right. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, so while uh, Mr. Spencer Haywood, I want to say it's an honor and a privilege to finally have you on my show. And it's, I've been honored to know you for a long time. You know, see you at the All-Star Weekends, at the at the National Basketball Retired Players Association events. And sir, thank you for joining me on, on the 40th edition of Where They At. Appreciate thank you. you. Yes, sir. 50th anniversary of Spencer Haywood, Haywood versus the NBA. That's the right. Spencer Haywood rule is coming. Thank you all for listening to the 40th edition of Where They At. And that was the one and only Spencer Haywood. And yes, it needs to be named that rule that he fought so hard for and paid a price as a professional basketball player to be able to have an opportunity to play professionally and not have to wait four years. It needs to be called the Spencer Haywood rule. It has to be changed. It's the 50th anniversary. And I'm so honored to have the great Spencer Haywood on um, where they at the 40th edition. Wow. And uh, yes, so that's Spencer Haywood. And if you want to hear other riveting interviews with with tremendous uh and engaging individuals please subscribe and or rate my show on spotify apple Podcasts, amazon Podcasts, google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, stitcher make sure to subscribe and or rate where they at so you get to hear these riveting individuals and these are people that have paved the way for everyone to to be able to prosper in this billion dollar industry that we call sports um so yeah so make sure and also check my show out where they at on catropolis radio network it's catropolis c-a-s-t-r-o-p-o-l-i-s dot net catropolis.net and they also stream my show 8 p.m monday night every monday night at 8 p.m eastern time they stream my show on the site as well so And if you like the music, please make sure to go on my website, N-A-B-A-T-E-I-S-L-E-S.com, nabateisles.com, or you can check out my Bandcamp page, which is the name NSI Universal. Uh, That's my Bandcamp page. Make sure you can check out all of my music from from my album, Eclectic Excursions, as well as the single, uh, which is a tribute to the great Chadwick Boseman tribute single that I did with Niles, a very talented hip hop artist, as well as the great singer, Beth Griffith Manley, who was on The Voice. She was a contestant on NBC's The Voice. So Niles and Beth Griffith Manley, I worked with to be able to create this very uh, powerful song for Chadwick Boseman. Yes, indeed. So, wow. So thank you all for listening to where they at with spencer haywood and uh we will be back sooner than later and i want to wish all of you the best also please be kind to each other treat each other with respect and be empathetic towards each other you know that's the key for us to be able to have a great community of um camaraderie 
and a community of love. Thank you all so much. Take care, everybody. God bless. Bye-bye.